0: We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Uh, let me read those for us. Not him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We began the powerful prayer series eight weeks ago. Each week we've looked closely into one of St. Paul's great prayers for the church and what we've seen has been extraordinary. We have had a master of prayer, St. Paul, show us why he prayed and what he prayed. Yet our in-depth study of these remarkable prayers will make no difference if we don't pray. If we've learned anything, I hope what we've learned is this: God expects us to pray for his church, including Lockwood Church. I hope we've learned that praying for the church is critical. So after 2 months of hearing about praying for the church, are we praying for the church? Have you prayed for Lockwood this week? Have you used what you've learned to pray for our church family? I've met people who believe in God but don't believe in prayer. They think God is just going to do what he's going to do, whether we pray or not. That prayer is just really a matter of adjusting our own attitudes and expectations. I don't believe that. I agree with Henry Emerson Fosdick, who said, Now, if God has left some things contingent on man's thinking and working, why may he not have left some things contingent on man's praying? The testimony of the great souls is, clear, is a clear affirmative to this. Some things never without thinking. Some things never without working. Some things never without praying. Prayer is one of three forms of man's cooperation with God. God made room when he created all of this for us to be involved with him in ways that make a difference. And one of those ways, the most immediate of those ways, is prayer. If we pray, some good things will happen that would not happen if we didn't pray. Some bad things will happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. St. Paul clearly did not think that his prayers for the church would make no difference other than improving his own attitude. If if you had suggested such a thing to him, he would have thought you were mad. The purpose of this series was not to stick more information in our heads, but to send us to our knees with inspired prayers in our mouths. The church of Jesus, including our family, is of enormous importance to God's plan for the world and for our lives. And we should be praying for it. If we do, some things will happen that would not otherwise happen. If we don't, some things will not happen that otherwise would. For example, Remember the first sermon in this series from St. Paul's Prayer for the Colossian Church. He prayed that God would give them the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so they could live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. How we need the knowledge of God's will in this time. The elders and the admin board are making decisions, uh, right and left, uh, about services about how we conduct ourselves. We need the knowledge of God's will. If COVID-19 forces us to move online for a time, we'll need the knowledge of God's will to keep serving our family, helping people grow in grace, meeting physical needs, and much more. The knowledge of God's will. When God answers that prayer and gives us the knowledge of his will, there are four enormously valuable outcomes. The first is the fruitfulness of the church's work. Now think of that. We're always doing work. Our children's ministry, family ministry, youth ministry, just to name a few examples. We are working hard. To some degree, the fruitfulness of all that work will hinge on knowing God's will, which in turn hinges on our prayers. The difference between fruitful labor and mere labor resides in part in our prayers. So are we praying? Or what about praying for a knowledge of God's will so that our people will be strengthened? Strengthened people, according to Paul, can endure. They can be patient. They can remain joyful. Some of our people are going through tough stuff. I was with someone this week who was suffering such intense pain throughout our short visit. She needs to be strong in order to endure. Paul prayed for that. We should be praying for that for each other. Weak people don't endure. They don't endure in their marriages. They don't endure in the church. Sunday school teachers who are weak give up. Deacons will find something easier to do. If we don't pray, we're not doing our part to help each other. Watchman Nee said it well. Our prayers lay the track down on which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it can't reach us without rails. In the prayer in Ephesians 1, Paul asked God to give the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Have you prayed that prayer for us? For First Baptist and Bethel Gilead and the Methodists and our friends and other fellowships, what a difference it will make when I get up to preach if God has given us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Being able to receive revelation, to have wisdom concerning what God is like. I'm not talking about just me, but us. About what he's like, what he can do, that changes everything. We ought to be praying regularly for this. The prayer we've been looking at the last few weeks in Ephesians 3, the prayer for strength, to know the knowledge surpassing love of Christ, how important that is in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic. What a difference. We will make if we have grasped Christ's love and been strengthened with God's power. It will increase our courage, deepen our compassion, make us stand out against the darkness and fear of our society the way stars stand out against the darkness of the night sky. You know, in one sense, it's not our prayers that make the difference, it's the God to whom we pray. He's able to do things we can't imagine, things that have never even crossed our minds. His power is beyond comprehension. Our best case scenarios, our highest ambitions, our wildest dreams don't come close to the reality of what God is capable of doing in us, in our families, in our church. In Ephesians 3.20, Paul calls God, literally now, the one who is able. Sometimes we talk about people that way. She's a very able leader. With God, we take that to another level. Abel translates a participle, the verbal form of the noun power, which appears over and over in these prayers. To be able is to have the power needed to accomplish something. The prayer Paul has just made is to the God who has the power to do whatever he chooses to do. His power is limitless. His ability, boundless. There are two other places the Bible speaks of God as the one who is able: Romans 16, Jude 24. In the Romans passage, God is able to establish you, that is, to make you strong, stable, secure. So we're wobbly. And things happen in our lives that show us how wobbly we are. But God is able to make us stand firm. In Jude 24, God is the one who's able to keep us from falling. In my almost 40 years now of pastoral ministry, I have seen Christians fall spectacularly and break when they fall. I've seen them fall into sin, into despair, into unbelief. What might have happened if they and we had prayed to the God who is able to keep us from falling? Jude goes on, And to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy but we know ourselves too well we are not without fault and we are often without joy certainly great joy sometimes we're miserable even it seems impossible to us That we should stand before a perfect God without fault and with great joy. We can't even imagine it. Precisely. Go back to our benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We don't see any way for things to work out. But we see a hundred ways for them to go wrong. In a thousand, if we keep looking, we just want things to be okay. But God is not satisfied with okay. He's planning for perfect, planning for great joy. He is able, literal translation, to do beyond everything, very far in excess of that which we ask or think. It's almost as if Paul made up words to be able to say that. You want God to get you out of a tough spot. He's planning on getting you into heaven. You want to avoid embarrassment. He's planning on bringing glory down on your head. You just want your kid to be okay. He wants your kid to be amazing. And he is able to do all these things. He is the one who is able. You say, but how? How's he going to do these things? I don't know. No one knew. No one imagined, neither human nor angel, that God would present us without fault and with great joy through a horrible Roman cross, the cross of Jesus. No, I saw it. No, ear heard it. No, mind imagined it except God's. He is the one who is able to do things we would never dream of. His ability is far in excess of anything we can ask or think. Listen to the words of Thomas Aquinas. To the one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To the one without faith, no explanation is possible. The first step is faith. But not in God's great power. We start by trusting his great love manifested in the Christ of the cross. Vance Havner put it this way. We miss so much Because we live on the low level of the natural, the ordinary, the explainable. We leave no room for God to do the exceeding abundant thing above all that we can ask or think. Listen to verse 20 again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, Literally think, according to his power that is at work within us. Now, wait a moment. This extraordinary power is not theoretical. It's already at work in us or among us, as the Greek could be translated. In our church, among our people, even in our inner persons, that power is at work. And prayer plugs us into the power. Prayer. I like what Philip Yancey wrote, if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn to pray. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way we want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes Converge. Prayer is not only the point where they converge in countless lives, prayer has been the point where those themes unite to become a story of power and beauty, to become a comedy, not a tragedy, and a story of glory. Look at verse 21 To him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forevermore. Amen. Some scholars have said Paul could not possibly have written this because of the word order. They say that Paul never would have put the church before Jesus. But that's to ignore what Paul's just been writing in this chapter, that the church is the showpiece of the unsearchable wisdom of God. That's verse 10 put on display for the great spiritual powers to see. And besides that, in Paul's mind, the church is not and never can be divorced from Jesus. They're a package deal. People in our day often try to divide the church from Jesus. They say, well, I have faith. I'm just not into organized religion. Or I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the church, how it's let me down. Such people's experience of Jesus will always be profoundly limited because Jesus is one with his church and lives on earth through his church. Yes, the church is unfinished, and none of us who love the church are blind to its faults. But Jesus' love and glory are expressed in the church. And that's why we must pray, especially in times like these. More than ever, we must pray for the church to have the knowledge of God's will. There there is an opportunity in this moment for the church to serve God in the world, and we mustn't miss it. This Wednesday, pastors from around the community are gathering to discuss how we can serve God in the church and the world during this pandemic. We must pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may grasp the hope before us and the enormous value of each other, God's chosen inheritance in his saints. We must pray, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, for power so that we'll be strong in this time of uncertainty so that God can fill us, his church, to all his fullness. Will you pray? Pray earnestly, confidently, confidently, continually for God's will in our church in the church in our county in our country in our world will you pray for the elders and deacons and admin board to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and so serve him well so that all of us can live courageously and fruitfully I close with the words of the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon he's using a church bell is an illustration of prayer. And he said this, Prayer pulls the rope below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir at the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is he who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continually with all his might let us win with heaven let's pull together and let's pull hard pray with me now heavenly father it is Remarkably gracious of you to let us participate with you and your great work by praying. You know we're not very good at it. Would you make us better? Would you fill our hearts with love and our mouths with words that reflect your will for your people? Would you give us the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might walk worthy of you in this time and please you in every way. Bring glory to your name through the church, including this church, and through Christ Jesus, we pray.